words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In our gospel today, we are given a sermon, a sermon by Jesus in the context of his healing ministry. So it's a sermon set in the context of healing, and it is a sermon of reversals. So I submit to you today that Jesus, in many ways, is calling us to a healing ministry of reversals, a reversal of injustice, a reversal of pain, a reversal of the myth of self-sufficiency. Jesus utters from a level place, as opposed to in the Gospel of Matthew, where it's the Sermon on the Mount, this is the Sermon on the Plain, underscoring the message of leveling out. And Jesus ushers, utters a series of assurances and a series of warnings. The assurances are to those who are in pain, in poverty, weeping, hungry, rejected. And the assurance that he utters is that, the assurance that he gives us is that God is with us in those times when we may feel abandoned. That God walks with us that God carries us, that God is present with us, even when, or maybe most especially, when the world does not value or respect our dignity or hold us worthy to be fed, comforted, included. The warnings that Jesus gives are the warnings about the myth of self-sufficiency, the temptation to believe that when we have worldly status, when we have wealth, that we are somehow more worthy than others, that somehow we deserve it more and Maybe even that we don't owe anybody anything. Jesus' warnings against this myth is a plea. It's a plea to people to forget about the generosity of God and that our need our independence, one on the other. It's a plea for their own healing of their own souls to remember, to remember those who are not as fortunate for whatever reason. So warnings and assurances Sermon on the Mount reminds us 
God's priorities aren't always the same as what our world values. And even though that seems like a no-brainer, we don't live often as if that were true. Martin Luther once once said, if you want to see God, do not strain your neck looking for the divine far away in the heavens, but enter the meanest valley in the village. There you will meet God amidst the rage and in the face of your suffering neighbor. There's an old saying that goes, how easy it is for a poor man to depend on God. What else has he to depend on? And how hard it is for a rich man to depend on God. All his possessions call out to him, depend on me. And so today, the healing ministry of reversal that we are called to is a ministry to undo what is not right and of making right what is wrong and of valuing the belovedness of every human being. Now, when we talk about rich and poor in these passages, our tendency in the United States is not to put ourselves among the rich. Because there's always someone richer than us, right? We're always, um, we're okay. But there's always somebody richer than us, no matter how well off we might be. And that's, that's a mistake not because we don't struggle and not because it might even be true, but because it's a perspective of justifying. And what Jesus longs for us to have is a perspective of justice. I don't know if any of you are familiar with what's called uh, reverse poetry. Sometimes you'll see it pop up on an Instagram or a Facebook account, and it's poems that are um, written and can be read in one way and then have a totally different message if you read it in reverse. There's one that I read many years ago when a friend of mine who everybody thought was uh, doing really well um, was struggling with anorexia. She lived in one of the most wealthy neighborhoods in the country and um, seemed to have it all. The simple reverse poem in uh, the way it's written reads, I hate the girl in the mirror, so you'll never hear me say that I'm good enough. I know in my heart that the number on the scale defines my worth and that being thin will make me happy. I refuse to believe that there is hope. I'm ashamed of my body. 
No longer can I say that I am worth fighting for. The reverse of this poem is I am worth fighting for. No longer can I say that I am ashamed of my body. There is hope. I refuse to believe that being thin will make me happy and that the number on the scale defines my worth. I know in my heart that I'm good enough so that you'll never hear me say that I hate the girl in the mirror. Defining our worth, defining our worthiness by standards of prominence or um, wealth or beauty as the world defines them can be devastating. And so Jesus calls us to a healing ministry of reversing what corrodes our souls and spirits. Shifting gears a little, yesterday we had, uh, we hosted uh, diocesan-wide seeing the face of God in each other, an anti-racism workshop. And although she was not mentioned, I remembered the beautiful ministry of a woman who was born into slavery in 1797, born as Isabella Bomfrey, who later changed her name to Sojourner Truth. She was born into slavery in, on a New York estate owned by a Dutch American named Colonel Johannes Hardenberg. She experienced the miseries of being sold and was cruelly mistreated. She fell in love with uh, another slave, but they were separated by their masters, and she was forced to marry another man and another slave, and they had five children. In 1827, after her master failed to honor his promise to free her, after he failed to uphold the new anti-slavery law of 1827, Isabella ran away, or as she later informed her master, quote master, I did not run away. I walked away by daylight. That was her ministry of healing and justice, of reversing the oppression that she would no longer bear. She became a witness for, against slavery and even for women's rights. And she even became an itinerant preacher. She is best known for a speech she made in Akron, Ohio, you may know some of it, and I'm going to share some of it with you. As she preached the love of Christ, she also preached respect for the dignity of every human being, African-American, woman, every human being. 
She said, that man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. But nobody ever helps me into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. And ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns and no man could head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lash as well, and ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery, and when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me, and ain't I a woman? She goes on, then that man in the black there, he says women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Where did your Christ come from? She asked. Where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Ministry of reversal. Of healing claiming dignity, of claiming God's accompaniment, even in the worst of times, and not to stay there or make peace with evil, but to find the strength somehow to confront it. I thought of another faithful woman this week as we celebrated 30 years of Bishop Barbara Harrison um, Harris, Barbara Clementine Harris, who was the first woman ordained a bishop in the Episcopal Church and therefore in the entire Anglican Communion. And you might wonder why I'm thinking about that. This week, there are three of us candidates for Bishop Suffragan in the Diocese of Texas. A woman, one of the three of us, will follow the first woman in Province 7, Bishop Dina Harrison. She had to run five times to be elected in her own diocese and was the first woman ordained in this southwestern province of the Episcopal Church. She opened up a way out of no way. Barbara Clementine Harris made history and made her ordination as bishop possible. When in 1989 she became the first bishop in the worldwide Anglican Communion. She was consecrated suffragan bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Massachusetts on February 11, 1989, and as the first woman bishop and as an African-American, she received death threats and obscene messages. And she refused to let those keep her from 
the call that God had made to her, that God had placed in her heart. And though she was urged to wear a bulletproof vest to her ordination, she refused. A contingent of the Boston police were assigned to her consecration, but her comment was merely, I don't take this in a personal way. Courage opened the doors was a reversal of centuries of tradition that had shut people out. I submit that it's a healing ministry of reversal of what was wrong, now right, of claiming the presence, the accompaniment of God. bring this quote out every once in a while, every four years or so, and it's from Mother Teresa's home. It was written on her wall in Calcutta, and it's a paraphrase of somebody else's paradoxical Ten Commandments, and I think it embodies well the sermon Jesus gives us today. Says people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. And as Philip, Philip Brooks said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you yourself shall be miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself, at the richness of the life which has come to you by the grace of God.